What's up, guys? In today's podcast, I'm going to discuss some uh, just some fantasy tips ahead of both pre and post week one of the fantasy season because the drafts are pretty much over now. I don't think anybody's drafting on the day of the game. I'm sure there's some of you sickos out there doing that. But for the most part, there's enough draft content out there. Let's talk about some strategies that you should uh, incorporate into your fantasy season. Again, both pre and post week one. So the first thing, and I've been saying this a lot, but I think that most people, it gets a little confusing or it just seems a little bit kind of, it's just so off of your natural course of like fantasy football action that I think people just kind of stay away from it. But I really think that it's important. And this is draft slots or bench positions on your fantasy team are very important. I would venture to say they're far more important than having a kicker on your roster today. You don't need one. I don't, if you have the Bucks kicker or if you have the um, Cowboys kicker, just drop them. Who gives a shit? The reason I say that is because, well, here, before you drop them, and I would even go as far as to say to do this with the defense as well, because having two additional bench spots through the one o'clock games on Sunday, to me, is more valuable than having a kicker or defense on your team for those games or for tonight's game. And let me just kind of expand on this. So there are probably guys available in your fantasy league like maybe Gabriel Davis, maybe a Terrace Marshall, maybe even a Trey Lance, Justin Fields, maybe Zach Wilson, you know, somebody, some young preferably a rookie or a young player. Maybe it's Jalen Rieger, for example. A young guy, Henry Ruggs, with upside that might be ready to take that next step. Brian Edwards, another Henry Ruggs teammate. One of those two guys, to me, is going to take an uptick in uh, production or going to have an uptick in production this year. So to have one of those guys on your roster, right? And, and again, you might want to do this for a guy that is playing either tonight or or in the one o'clock games. And you can even do it twice. Like you can have a guy, let's just say you think Keyshawn Vaughn's gonna be the, the number one running back in Tampa. I mean, that's probably not gonna happen, especially not in week one. But if you said like, I'm gonna pick him up just in case, like maybe Fournette and Rojo get hurt, who knows? You pick up Keyshawn Vaughn for tonight, Keyshawn Vaughn plays four snaps, Rojo and Lennon Fournette are healthy, no harm, no foul. You pick up another kicker Sunday. At some point Sunday, I'm preferring on Sunday afternoon after the 1 o'clock games. But if there are rookies available, which I know there are, and it might be even Cole Komet or something like that. He's a second-year guy that I've been kind of banging the drum for, but he's going on drafted in a lot of leagues. I think I got him with my last pick in a league. But getting a guy on your team that you can watch play week one, and you can have up to two additional players on your bench that you can just watch play and already have them on your roster. And then if they don't do anything, well, then you just drop them and pick up your kicker or defense because I have news for you. There are games in the afternoon slot on Sunday, and there are also games on Sunday and Monday night, right? So like you have other options and most 90% of the time, there are kickers and defenses available from one of those teams, whether it be Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday night. You know, there are going to be defenses and kickers available in all likelihood, unless your team, unless your league is just a bunch of sickos and they have two kickers on their roster and stuff like that, which you should never do ever. So, yeah, <clears throat> I think that just having these guys on your roster, having additional ways to get lucky, right? You, people will call you lucky if you have Terrace Marshall on your roster and he goes off for 
15 catches or something crazy, right? They're going to say, you're lucky. Well, give yourself more opportunities to become lucky. And that right there isn't luck. That's strategy. So to me, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, again, guys that I would look to, to pick up are Lance Fields, Justin Jackson, um, Terrace Marshall, like I mentioned, Ruggs, Rieger, go, those kinds of guys. Like if I would just like to have them on my roster just in case they go off, then maybe, look, they might, one of those guys might go off and then one of your potential starters might tear his ACL. I mean, that's just the reality that is NFL football. It's a, it's a violent game and, um, you know, guys get hurt. So having additional players on your, on your roster for, and not just for week one, I'm talking every week. I would do this every week if you if you really want to press the issue of getting that kind of league changing player, um, you know, at any point in the season. I think that it's always worth going waiver wire to, with your kicker and even your defense. There are always defenses available on waivers, even after waivers like I'm on just that are available as free agents that go off that week. I mean, it's, um, it's rare that there aren't now it's not the easiest thing to always find the one that goes the most crazy, but it's, you know, I, I mean, I think you guys have all won games in fantasy where your defense has scored four points. I mean, you know, and, and your kicker has scored four points. I think, and also with kicker, it's so unpredictable to an extent, like you can see, you know, you know who the reliable kickers are, Justin Tucker, those kinds of guys, but you also know that sometimes, things happen and sometimes kickers have six field goals and they they were not even on a roster that week. It just, that's just how it is. So to me, the benefit of using that extra roster spot on a running back receiver or even tight end or quarterback is exponentially more valuable than having your roster in a feng shui, you know, perfectly filled out manner for the entirety of the week. I think that it's, it's always worth it. So, I mean, imagine, think about that. Imagine if you're playing with, let's say seven bench spots and the rest of your league is playing with five. Do you think you're going to have an advantage there? Because I sure do. All right. Anyways, next thing I want to talk about is, uh, and this is easier said than done, but pay attention to snap counts of young players, particularly rookie players, but even second year guys. And um, I've already mentioned some that I like, but last year, for example, you saw a guy like Miles Gaskin come out and, and literally beat out two pretty decently, um, uh, invested veteran guys in um, who was it? The Matt Breida and Jordan Howard, right? Miles Gaskin came out in week one against the Patriots and played like 70% of the snaps. That was, that was wild, right? So no one really had Gaskin on their roster in week one, but you probably picked him up. If you saw him play 70% of the snaps. And even if you didn't, you probably paid a much higher price later to pick him up. There was another guy last year, and I know Gaskin wasn't a rookie, but that was an example of just kind of a second-year player that you could do that with. And you should really be trying to monitor these snap counts as best your ability and not win. So the idea here is you want to be a week early. Everything I'm basically telling you about so far is being a week early on a guy and getting him for free or getting him for much, much less than what you would have gotten him for, right? So Justin Jefferson last year, week one, comes out, plays 69% of the snaps. No one's talking about him because he had like two catches for 20 yards. Week two, if you guys remember week two, he his snap percentage went down by, uh, you know, he played like 59% of the snaps. But what happened that was most important in that game is the Vikings offense. They played the Colts in Indianapolis. They put up an absolute stinker of a performance. They, they were awful. I mean, it was like damn near a shutout until the last second. 
Point is, Jefferson in that game played like 29 snaps and he caught three passes for 44 yards. He was the only, the lone bright spot in Minneapolis in that particular, uh, or in Minnesota for that game. So when you look at that, week three comes, it's against, I believe, the Tennessee Titans. He goes like seven for a buck 50 and a touchdown, something crazy like that. So we all, we, most of us, including myself, because I didn't even pick Jefferson up before that week three game. And, you know, I try my best to monitor these things, but you're gonna, you can't get them all right. So I missed out on him. I was paying attention to Darnell Mooney, who played like 70% of the snaps from week one as well, but I missed on Justin Jefferson. So that's just bad luck. But the point I'm making is this people that picked up Justin Jefferson after week three had to do so paying absolute full price, right? Like you are, you're basically, if you're in a, a FOB league, you're emptying out your, your money, you know, your salary cap or whatever you call it. If you're in a waiver system league, you're, you're using the top waiver spot or one of the top waiver spots on Justin Jefferson. So that is okay. And, and, you know, there are in undeniably going to be times where you have to do that. Right. I mean, you just, it, you can't be a week early on everybody, but I will say it, you know, you should monitoring snap counts of young players is definitely a way to say, hey, you know, if you're using the first strategy I told you about where you don't roster a kicker or a defense or at least one of them for, you know, the majority or for the early parts of the week, then you give yourself an opportunity to get those guys for free. And then you just cut somebody else. You know, like if you imagine if you had Justin Jefferson on your roster for the week three, one o'clock games and he goes seven for a buck 50 and he's, and he's on your bench and you're like, Oh man, I should have started them. But the best thing is you have them and you've got them for free. And in all likelihood, there's somebody else in your roster that you can just say, well, it was nice, nice having you, but I'm going to go ahead and get rid of you now because I kind of think Justin Jefferson is the guy to keep on this team. So that's where these two kind of philosophies marry together. <clears throat> and, you know, snap count, the reason why I say that this is important is because it shows intent. Miles Gaskin went on to play basically 70% of the snaps in essentially every game he played that in the season for Miami. He missed a few games, like with two different injuries, COVID being one of them. And he, you know, but the like after that, we saw he was their bell cow back for every game he played in, you know, and, and that's, you could get that guy for free. So that's definitely important. And then of course we saw how the season went for Justin Jefferson finished like 1400 yards. And you know, he was the, he was the breakout guy in terms of the rookie class last year. So um, another thing I would look at is don't overreact, right? So when you look at early season production or lack thereof, we tend to see guys there the whole perception of them. And even in some cases, for the entirety of the season is sculpted by what happened early. You like if if a like for example last year, Clyde Edwards Elaire, I, I had him as my RB sixteen, I believe it was, and a lot of people after the week one opening night game, especially when they're early um, prime time games, those are the times where where guys are sitting there thinking, oh my god. How did I how did I listen to Fair Shake football and and not draft Clyde Brazilier in the first round? Because he went crazy in week one, right? He had like over 100 yards. He played he played well. I came out and I, I mean I got like literally at least six or seven messages from people in the DMs just saying, "Dude, just take your L on Clyde. You were wrong. He is clearly going to be an RB one. You know, blah blah blah." So I don't get married to any one player or 
I don't get married to hating any one player. I don't ever hate a player. But the point is, I don't ever get married to one I, one idea about a specific player. When I said about Clyde as after week one, I said, look, he didn't play on passing downs. So maybe he doesn't have the trust of the coaching staff from that standpoint yet. And as a red zone runner, if you guys remember at the, at the goal line, he got stuffed like three or four times. So he didn't score a touchdown where he probably should have. Or maybe he did score a touchdown later. But the point is, he did get stuffed several times from inside like the three yard line. So people thought I was hating. I was just being realistic. I wasn't jumping the gun any which way or another. I said he played great, though. Like there's, you know, as a just not counting the, the goal line carries or or the lack of pass down work as a runner, he played well, played very well. He played awesome. But the point was, I wasn't about to throw out my entire pre-draft thought on him simply because of one game, even though it was a Monday night or a Thursday night game. And like it felt like everyone was talking about Clyde. See, that's the thing with social media. You cannot allow them to get inside your head and, and force you to change your gut feeling on a player because but at the same time, you can't have too strong of a gut feeling on a player either. So it's, it's a it's a balancing act. Right. But with Clyde, you know, we all saw after that, he kind of just slowly but surely went downhill, had that great game against Buffalo. And then and then just kind of like was hit or miss for the rest of the season, you know, for the people. And this is about everybody that took him, that drafted him. You spent a first round pick on him at the end of the season. You felt even after all that hype in week one at the end of the season, you said, you know what? I probably should have taken somebody else in the first round. Like at the end of the day, that happens. Now, it happens in reverse too, where I could say, no, 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 Clyde's not that guy. Clyde's not that guy or whatever. And then week six or seven, it's like, okay, Clyde's that guy. An example of that last year was DeAndre Hopkins. I was not thrilled on taking DeAndre Hopkins in the second round. He ends up just going crazy. I mean, he slowed down towards the end of the season last year, but he simply went nuts. And it was like, okay, I should have probably said, hey, DeAndre Hopkins, and I think I did, to be fair. DeAndre Hopkins is that guy, right? Like he's, and it's not that I didn't think he was, I wasn't a believer in his talent. It was that I just, there's times where a guy goes to a new team and it's like, "Mm, I'm not sure, right? And then now this year, I think people are, by the way, doing that to a guy like Kenny Galladay. I think Kenny Galladay could be the Stefan Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins of this year. And he's available. I think I got him in the seventh round in like two leagues. So that's pretty, I mean, like we're talking about very low risk, right? How many times does your seventh round pick start every game for you? I mean, it's it's not it's not like you you're depending on that to be a huge performer for you. If he, if he doesn't pan out, he doesn't pan out. But seventh round, Kenny Galladay, even last year in the four of the five games he played, one of the games was his final game. He didn't he didn't really play, so that's why I'm not really counting that. He had over sixty yards in every game, and he had over a hundred yards in basically his final two games. We don't count his last game where he didn't really play. So. And that, you know, from that standpoint, it's not like Kenny Gullah didn't, didn't perform when he was given opportunity last year and when he was healthy. And now the Giants put him through a pretty rigorous physical where, you know, you would think based on that physical and medical information they had at hand, you would think they feel really comfortable with him as a guy that can stay healthy all 16 or all 17 games. So, yeah, don't overreact. Also, and I'm also talking to you Austin Eckler owners myself included Eckler now right after I draft him in the first round and I'm sure a lot of you are going through this he's now injured and you're seeing uh he may not play week one or whatever guess what he might not play week one that doesn't mean that the the world is falling in you know it just means that maybe you you know 
coming around week two. I'll tell you what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't trade Eckler at a discounted price right now because we don't know. And you also, on the reverse of this, just so you don't think I'm being biased, you shouldn't buy Eckler. Uh, you know, right now, because you're you're probably not going to get him for that much of a discount. If you get him for like, you know, something super cheap, then go for it. But you're not probably not going to do that, right? Like people, if they're trading Eckler right now, they're probably doing it for your second round pick, third early third round pick at the absolute lowest cost. And to me, I mean, I think that it's just it's worth just waiting and seeing right now with Eckler. So, but yeah, don't overreact. Also, don't underreact or don't, you know, don't don't uh, have your eyes closed. Last year, people gave up on guys like Jonathan Taylor. Early on in the season, they gave up on guys like Antonio Gibson, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers. You know, there was a lot of those young guys that were actually getting a decent amount of the snaps that people gave up on too early, in my opinion, or not even just in my opinion. At this point, it's hindsight and it's a fact. So um, anyways, let's see. Identify potential buy low and sell high guys after week one, right? So like you're going to want to try and get guys and everything I've said so far has been geared toward being a week early to get these guys for free or to buy these guys extremely low in a trade, something like that. But in certain situations, and you have to try and learn from your past mistakes when you're kind of making these, uh, you know, buy lows and stuff, right? Or sell highs. You can feel it, for example, with a guy that you should probably sell. You can feel it when, one of your players is overachieving. That doesn't mean you should sell low on that player, but you can have the idea that, hey, I kind of don't think this production is sustainable, you know, whether it be, you know, he's not playing that much of a high percentage of the snap count, whether it be he's scoring in, like, every four touches on, you know, right now and over the first month of the season, I don't think that's going to continue. Or it's like last year with Robbie Anderson, he was like a 10 catch guy, it felt like, or close to every game of the season early on. And then, People, dude, Robbie Anderson, I bet you some of you listening to this either bought or sold Robbie Anderson at an insanely high price, and it didn't pan out for you after that. And I even remember myself saying, hey, maybe I was wrong on Robbie Anderson. Maybe we should still be buying him because, dude, he finished the season with almost 100 catches, first of all. So it's not like he slowed down exponentially, but he only had three touchdowns, and he definitely slowed down in terms of like, volume and yards per reception from where he was at early. I mean, he had that crazy, like the game in week one where he had like seven catches for over hundred and a touchdown, had that long touchdown catch against the Raiders. He, I think that most people will tell you if they were involved in a trade acquiring Robbie Anderson, they would probably say they, they, you know, regret that trade if they did. So, you know, if they did it after week one, yeah, you probably got pretty good value out of them and, and everything went well, but most likely, you were kind of disappointed with what you gave up because you might have given up. Like, I bet you a James Robinson for Robbie Anderson trade happened last year. And I bet you, I mean, we all know how that turned out, right? James Robinson was a top, what was it, top like six running back last year, something crazy like that. So, um, so yeah, I think that Robbie Anderson, guys like that, we need to learn from those past mistakes. You can feel it when one of your guys is overachieving and, <clears throat> you know, it's better to, to get rid of them then. Also, you can feel it in reverse sometimes if you're especially guys watching the games really helps. I know that sounds obvious and silly, but like watching guys actually play rather than just looking at the stat sheet because the stat sheet can fool you in one way or the other. You can look at it and you can say, oh, wow, you know, this guy's he saw 10 targets. But then you can look at it and be like, well, when I watched the game, those 10 targets were like, you know, I, they were all at the line of scrimmage or they, maybe it was just a game plan heavy 
proponent of that week or whatever. You know, it's it's watching the games and you can do so if you have NFL game pass, you can watch condensed version of games. If you're not sure about a player and you really want to kind of hammer home on how you feel, get your conviction. You can watch the game in like 45 minutes and you don't have to watch the entire game, but just watch, you know, two thirds of the game or whatever, a third of the game, whatever it might be until you get that, that conviction. But you could also, for example, you see a guy in the box score that has seven targets, right? You're thinking, Hey, this dude was heavily involved or whatever. Then you watch the condensed version of the game and you see that six of his targets were in the first half. Then it's like, Hmm, not quite sure that's the most sustainable because, and it might be still right. It just, I'm not saying one way or the other, but little pieces of evidence like that, there's never one little piece of evidence that solves the entire puzzle, but there's also one piece of evidence or several pieces of evidence put together that give you the entire puzzle or that give you, I guess, the best way to hypothesize on what the entire puzzle is supposed to look like. So that's kind of uh, my thoughts on that, but yeah, buying, Buying low when you can execute that properly is the best way to acquire one of the best ways to acquire players. Also, selling high <clears throat> is definitely one that returns value for you and, and that can make your team. If you can execute that well, you know, buying low, selling high, that whole principle well throughout your season, you're, you're going to have an optimal lineup over the stretch run. And that's ultimately where we want to get. Like, it makes me nervous when I draft <clears throat> so well that my team is basically set, right? Because there's no, it doesn't feel like you're peaking at the right time. When you just have that good of a team to where you're just like, it's hard for guys to sustain over the entire life of the season. That's why buying low and selling high is so important because there are guys like a few years ago, Joe Mixon was very disappointing for the first like 10 weeks of the season. And then he came on like gangbusters. And I kept saying, and people thought I was nuts. That was the first year of the podcast, by the way. People kept saying, dude, just give it up on Joe Mixon, right? Like you're, you're, you're talking crazy. Now you're telling people to buy low on him. But I was saying, here's the key word to that low buy low, but you can give away a flex option type of player for a guy like Joe Mixon that at any point could turn into a top 10 running back. And guess what happened over the final what was it, like four or five weeks of the season? He had that game against Baltimore where they got blown out and he still touched the ball over 30 times. You know, he is, the bona fide guy in Cincinnati, and he has been <clears throat> since then, right? But the situation didn't always allow for him to be, you know, the most efficient player, but which is another reason why I think volume can be overrated because Joe Mixon was essentially getting decent volume the entire season in terms of touches, but he just wasn't always able to do a ton with it. So I think that if you bought low on Joe Mixon, if you gave away your flex option for Joe Mixon at that you know time of year, well, it worked out phenomenally well for you. So just those types of decisions, because again, examples like Tyler Lockett or guys like that, that went crazy over the first seven or eight games. And then they did basically nothing was like the wide receiver 40 something over the final six or seven games last year. You know, that's, that's an insane dip, that's an extreme example, but those types of things do happen. So looking at guys like, I get, like I said, I get nervous when I have a team that's peaking in October. You know, it's it's almost like who of these guys, because it will happen, who of these guys is going to slow down and how can I sell them to acquire a guy that's going to pick up, right? So like it may involve like a package deal where you sell one of your high peaking guys that you think might slow down for a couple of guys that you think one of them at least is going to pick it up. 
right? So I think that kind of makes sense. And and those are the types of decisions that we're going to talk about during every week of the season. From here on, I'll probably do a buy low, sell high episode every week, and hopefully we can get some of those decisions correct. So you can you know you can execute this because it is a very 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 important uh, part of building a roster. So it, all season long, it's it's about roster building now. Like we're we're not going to talk about ADP anymore because that's all gone, right? I mean, the only time, maybe the first two weeks of the season, if you're doing a trade, you can use ADP as a leverage point in that trade. Like, hey, man, I'm giving you my second round pick for your fourth round pick when we all know that doesn't matter anymore. But in some cases, it can help push a trade through for you if you're trying to get one done in uh, the early parts of the season. So anyways, we will, um, I'm going to have a week one total preview coming soon. And that's the end of this podcast, guys. I'll see you later. Peace.